Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word, which this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, which is page number 979 in your pew Bibles, while you're turning there, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Lydia this morning. This is sermon number 27, as I've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, and it's the third one on this passage. So this is part three of a sermon that I originally titled, The Relentless Struggle Against the Evil One. And that's because this is a passage that talks about the spiritual warfare that we face as Christians. And there are several questions that I've tried to answer. The first question is, who are we fighting? And of course, the answer is, from Ephesians chapter 6, the devil. I didn't give you everything. It wasn't a, you know, we didn't spend a whole series and, you know, 20 sermons uh, trying to teach about the doctrine of the devil. But hopefully it was a little bit helpful as we think about this fight that we're in with the devil. And then last week I tried to answer the question, what are we fighting for? Which the answer is that we're fighting to stand firm, to remain standing, to withstand his uh, his schemes and darts. We're, we're fighting to stand firm in the faith. And then today, finally, trying to answer the question, how do we fight? Which, as we were just singing there in um, that particular hymn, we put on the whole armor of God. So that's what we're looking at this morning. From Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, I'll read through verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things from this your word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As a pastor, I'm able to do a lot of um, different types of counseling. Of course, the, your favorite counseling is pre-marriage counseling because everybody's excited during pre-marriage counseling. And one of the questions that I have asked couples, because, again, they're really excited, glad to be there. And they you know, look at each other googly-eyed and everything is great. And so I always try to ask the question, how do you keep your love warm? So that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 
you're still looking googly-eyed at each other. Maybe not quite so googly-eyed, but how do you still have that tenderness and affection and warmth for one another? And the answer that folks will say is, well, you just have to keep, you know, walking with God. You know, just keep in step with the Spirit, something like that. And it's a simple answer, but it's true. Uh, There aren't... There are many aspects, there's a lot about walking with God, but if you'll keep a soft heart with the Lord, then you'll be able to keep a soft heart uh, toward each other. In that sense, it's not complicated. There's not any one particular secret bullet, but just walk with God and then you'll, um, silver bullet, and you'll just just walk with God and then you'll be able to maintain a warm, affectionate, tender walk with each other. And that's what we see in this passage, really. How do you fight the fight of faith? Well, it's kind of simple. Put on the whole armor of God. There are many pieces, as you see here in this passage. Lots of weapons for us to use. But in one sense, it's kind of simple. Just put on the armor of God. In other words, there's no one single... um, key for spiritual life there's there's no one surefire way if you'll just do this one thing that'll guarantee spiritual victory in this spiritual war in which we fight there there's no silver bullet that is guaranteed to produce spiritual fruit there's no no simple just single cure put on the whole armor of god and its many weapons now in one sense again it's a simple answer but we're to use all of these weapons, faith and the gospel and the helmet of salvation and God's word and prayer. We use all these things, but we don't go around looking for just that one little secret. If I can just have this one little spiritual technique, if I can just get this down, then everything will be great. It'll be it's cruise control from there. Sometimes Christians will say, you know, especially reading this passage about spiritual warfare and say that we need to... Uh, you know, we, we've got to reclaim lost ground that the devil has taken. We need to name the demons who have come to occupy uh, certain uh, certain territory. And so, you know, if, if there's a, a pornography issue, we, we need to name that, that demon of lust and cast him out. Or, or if it's drugs that we're struggling with, we need to name that demon of drugs to overcome addiction. Back in the 70s and 80s, and many of you would not be old enough to realize this, but back in the 70s, there were books about this kind of stuff. You could go to conferences where you could learn how to do this kind of stuff. Some Christians will say, well, the silver bullet, the, silver bullet, the, you know, the, the single technique, the, 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 the key is you've got to go to seminary. And if you go to seminary, then that'll, that'll take care of all your spiritual woes. You know, if you, if you grew up in a, maybe in a Methodist sort of congregation, I'm picking on the Methodists this morning, aren't I? Then, you know, they would say, well, you've got to go to the walk to Emmaus. And if you'll do the walk to Emmaus, then that'll take care of all of your, your spiritual woes. And some Christians would say, well, you've got to speak in tongues. And if you can speak in tongues, that'll take care of it. You know, these things can all be helpful, I'm sure. But again, there's no simple, single cure-all. There's no... Uh, this sort of special spiritual technique that if you'll just do this one thing, it's guaranteed to de- defeat all evil. It takes simply putting on the whole armor of God and fighting 
day after day with faith, fighting day after day with the Word of God, fighting day after day in prayer, fighting day after day with the Gospel. So that's the, that's the main gist of the sermon. That's, that's the theme. Not one secret spiritual technique, but it's the whole armor of God. All of these things, all of these weapons, day after day after day. Now, I'll, I will look at the seven weapons that are mentioned here, um, and we'll work through these. Number one, we do fight with a belt of truth, which is what we see in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, this belt of truth, it could mean... Uh, there's a little bit of debate about what it what it could mean. It could mean just the the various doctrines of the Christian faith, which is certainly that would make sense. It also could mean truth in our lives, as in we're not living a lie, we're not hypocrites. Sinclair Ferguson sees that to be what Paul is saying. He says, "In view here is probably the integrity and consistency that is produced in Christians by the truth of the gospel." Also, James Montgomery Boyce writes this, or said these words in his sermon on it. Streaking, sp- streak, strictly speaking, the Roman soldier's belt was more a part of his dress than his armor. It was made of leather and was used to gather his garments together as well as hold his sword. Yet it was part of his war equipment, for it gave him a feeling of inner fortitude and strength when tightened. The Christian's belt is truth. It is to be his inner strength what gives him confidence. I think that's really well worded. You know, we're, when we're not living in truth in a way that's consistent with our profession, then we're going to lack inner strength. When, when we're living a lie, living as a hypocrite, then we're, we're going to lack confidence, and we should. Like James words it in his epistle, to lack this integrity in our lives is to be a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So to live for Christ, we can't be living a lie. Hypocritically, we fight with a belt of truth. Second, we fight with a breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now again, this is one of these that could be taken one of a couple of ways. This could refer to the righteousness of Christ imputed to us or, as we say, credited to our account. Or it may refer to, in a sense, what I was just talking about, holiness in our own lives, righteousness in our own lives. I believe it's talking about the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us, that's credited to us. And when we dwell on that, when we live in that, it gives us confidence. And it gives us confidence because we're not standing on our own righteousness, which is, in many ways, not very righteous. And so since we're standing in the righteousness of Christ, we have confidence, while also it makes us be humble because, again, we're not standing on our own righteousness. And so there's humility there. One pastor I know of tells the story about how the night in which he was ordained and became an official minister of the gospel, that night he, afterwards, he went to bed and while he was asleep, he had a dream. And in his dream, uh, someone uh, against whom he had sinned came up to him and said, you're a minister? 
And as he, he turned his, he dropped his head and turned his head in shame, he saw a whole line of people that he had either sinned with in the past or sinned against in the past, and they were all there to accuse him. You're a minister? I think about that, and you think about that in your own life. You're a Christian? I know what you've done. I, I knew you, you know, years ago. You're a Christian? We fight with a breastplate of righteousness that belongs to Jesus. It's His righteousness that we stand in. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. He's our righteousness. We stand humbly, therefore, and yet at the same time with confidence. Last week we sang hymn number 520, which yeah, I, I, I know I've said this. It's one of my favorite hymns. Um, it's one that I've got listed that I want sung at my funeral. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. The first couple of verses, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are. My beauty is the blood and righteousness of Christ. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, in these arrayed, the blood and righteousness of Christ, in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in thy great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved through these I am. Through the blood and righteousness of Christ. From sin and fear. From guilt and shame. So we fight with truth. We fight with the righteousness of Christ. And third, we fight with shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now I admit that's a, it's a kind of an awkward phrase uh, the way that it's mentioned there about the shoes for your feet and having put on a readiness given by the gospel of peace. I mean it could mean that as we rest in the gospel we have sure footing and we have peace and that's certainly uh, the case. It could mean that, that we're going forth with the gospel, that the gospel is our weapon. We, the gospel is on our lips. And I believe this is what it's talking about because we just got finished thinking about righteousness and peace that comes from the gospel. But I believe it's talking about the power of the gospel for salvation. The gospel is what we then talk about. That's what we lead with. First uh, Corinthians 15, Paul writes, in, beginning in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and so forth. As of first importance, Christ died for our sins. It was at supper recently with um, some friends, Lisa and I were, and we got in conversation with the waiter, and uh, he wanted to talk about all manner of uh, string theory and multiverses and, and on and on and on. He said, yeah, I can talk for hours about that kind of stuff. And I noted uh, a little bit later that in, in a situation like that, what we've got to do is keep a, a conversation focused on the gospel. What do you do with your sin? Because that's what we have as Christians that's good news, wonderful, wonderful news, amazing news, is that your sins can be forgiven. That's what we lead with. I read this recently. 
1872, Charles Hodge was honored for his 50 years of service as a professor at Princeton Seminary. Four of his former students gathered for the day. Of course, that was a time when travel was uh, much more difficult than it is now. A committee announced it had raised funds for an endowed professorship in his honor. Speeches were made and letters were read with Henry Boardman, Hodge's longtime friend and pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, presiding. After the day's festivities, Boardman and Hodge reflected together, and Hodge remarked, All that can be said is that God has been pleased to take up a poor little stick and do something with it. What I have done, though, is nothing compared with what is done by a man who goes to Africa and labors among a heathen tribe and reduces their language to writing. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose the shoes of such a man. He's talking about the power of the gospel for salvation. That's what we fight with. That's what we lead with. So we fight with truth in our lives. We fight with righteousness of Christ and we fight with the gospel. Fourth, we fight with a shield of faith. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, in war in that day, uh, tips of arrows would be dipped in pitch and lighted and then sent um, flying across the battlefield designed to, to strike wooden shields that were usually covered in leather and they would, they would catch fire. And, of course, that's the devil's goal with us is to destroy us and destroy our trust in the Lord. And I guess Anton was saying this in his prayer a little bit ago, or maybe Brad was, I can't remember, but I can't, um, I believe honestly that for most Christians, those flaming darts from the devil, for for those of you who've been walking with God for a number of years, the flaming darts that uh, seem to most often come your way will look like, will look less like open rebellion and more like discouragement, despair, where you start to question whether you're, whether or not God is really good or whether He is trustworthy, whether He answers prayer. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to doubt God. C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional book called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, it, it's a series of letters from, from a chief demon to his nephew about how to discourage and defeat Christians. And so the chief demon writes to his nephew, Do not be deceived, Wormwood, that's his name, the nephew's name. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, of course that would be God's will, because these are demons trying to, to sidetrack you and me. Uh, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. And still obeys. And, and we get to that point of obeying, believing God, even though we're discouraged through faith. Believing even though we're discouraged, even though we're depressed. Something else said by C.S. Lewis Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. 
So we fight with truth, with the righteousness of Christ, with the gospel, with faith. Five, we fight with the helmet of salvation, which is what we get from verse 17 where we're told to take the helmet of salvation. And you'll recall when Paul went into a city, um, he just didn't immediately start casting out demons. He didn't gather the fellow believers uh, and have them hold hands around the temple or something like that to, to pray against the demonic forces. Not saying that that's totally unnecessary. Matter of fact, one of our missionaries we support, Joel Linton, in his email uh, sort of prayer update this week in Taiwan mentioned some of these sorts of struggles, these issues that we don't see often in the West. But Paul's first priority, to preach Christ. What, he, what, was, what was his top priority was this, this issue of salvation. And so he preached Christ alone, by, by faith alone, grace alone. And I was, I was reading this week and in, was encountered a couple of terms, Christian nationalism, intersectionality, uh, and some other terms I can't remember now. Things that you know I hear a lot these days, and I think I maybe sort of have an idea about what these things mean. But when I read those, I thought, I guess I need to you know learn more about what these things are. It's what kind of people are talking about in the culture these days. I really need to you know uh, get up to date, up to speed on these things. But then it hit me. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't have to try to keep up with all the latest cultural fads. Just preach Christ. Preach salvation through Jesus, through faith and grace. That's how we fight. With the helmet of salvation, truth, righteousness of Christ, gospel, faith. Six, we fight with the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible. The Word of God. And not just the Bible, but truths from the Bible. For example, I've got a document that I have used in counseling with folks. Um, and it's a document I give as sort of a way to overcome, uh, overpower sin with truth from God's Word. So say your sin is gluttony, that that's one of the sins you're struggling with these days. This document would take you through a number of questions that essentially work like this. You would say to the sin of gluttony, if it was personified in some way, gluttony, when did you ever enter my world to suffer on my behalf? Gluttony, um, you look beautiful to me right now, but when did you ever leave your place of prominence and glory to humble yourself for me? Uh, anger was another sin. Anger, when did you ever shed your blood so that I could be cleansed from my sin? Um, laziness. When did you ever promise to come again and redeem me from the things that capture me and make me their slave? You know, obviously those sins, they don't deliver anything but more enslavement, more destruction, more depression, more discouragement, more problems. And so by asking these questions of those sins as if they were personified, you're, you're combating them with the truth of the gospel, which is how we fight. And then finally, we fight with prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Y'all, the most objective 
measurement of your dependence upon God is prayer. The things you and I pray about are the things we look to God to handle. The things we neglect to pray about are things that we think we can handle on our own. If you're not praying, if I'm not praying, then we're quietly confident that time and money and talent is all we really need in life. You're always going to be a little too tired to pray. You're always going to be a little too busy to pray. But if like Jesus, we realize we can't do life on our own, no matter how busy we are, no matter how tired we are, we will make some time for prayer. Prayer is the way we do spiritual battle in the world. Two quick final thoughts. First, just a reminder. There are no secret techniques that are going to guarantee spiritual success in this war. There's no single answer or little trick to defeat the devil and stand firm. It is day after day after day walking in truth, standing in the righteousness of Christ, living by faith, the gospel, the word of God, living by prayer. Day after day after day. I, just this week I, I was talking with, uh, with one of our church members and, and I admitted that I'm now admitting to all of you that, that just personally I felt a little spiritually dry, just a little bit less zealous and passionate for the Lord the last number of weeks. In reality, you know, we, we kind of go through those stages. It's just part of life on this side of heaven. But the, but the answer that thankfully I was not given was, well, you just need to, you know, you need to go on a walk to Emmaus or you need, you need to start speaking. Th- no, it's, it's, there's no secret technique. You walk with God day after day after day, putting on the whole armor of God, using these weapons that are provided. And so the, the prayer is that God would, would enable us to do that. The second a quick little final thought here. What if you forget? What if you forget to use these weapons? Or what if you use them very poorly? You will. You will forget to use these weapons. You will use them poorly. And so know that Jesus never forgets. He never forgets you. He, His righteousness covers you. His righteousness perfectly covers your poor use of these weapons He never fails to fight on your behalf. And so as the hymn goes that we're going to sing here in just a minute, when you fear your faith will fail, Christ will hold you fast. And so keep that in mind as we walk with Christ, putting on the whole armor of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would keep us from thinking that there is a secret technique or single activity that is a surefire guarantee to give us spiritual progress. Help us to make use of all the weapons in this battle for faith. And help us to remember that ultimately our great peace and rest comes from knowing that you hold us fast as we live the Christian life. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as a hymn of response. He will hold me fast. The words are printed here in your bulletin.
let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but only in your righteousness credited to us. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose manner is always to show mercy. Grant us, therefore, O Lord, the grace to commune now with Christ by faith, that we may evermore live in Him and He in us. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our Book of Church Order gives us directions in how we invite people to this table. And what it directs us to say is that this meal is for those who are communicants in good standing in any evangelical church. Now, some folks think that's just kind of ridiculous that you've got to be a member of a church before you can come to this table. Well, we don't think it is ridiculous. And so we say it every time we have communion. We say it, one, because our book of church order to which we've submitted ourselves directs us to say it. But also, we believe that this idea of a church membership role or something like that, uh, a physical, you know, on paper role, is a biblical thing. Um, you know, you read your Bibles and you read about the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Um, we, we sing it you know, about the role is called up yonder. In First Timothy, we read about widows and how if they meet certain requirements, they are to be put on the list. Put on the role for widows. Inner church business was oftentimes uh, conducted by people with letters of commendation, letters of reference. So we don't think it's strange for there to be uh, this requirement folks, that folks um, participate in this meal by being communicants, members. A communicant meaning uh, the leadership of a church has invited them to their church. In other words, what we're saying is you don't have to be a member of this church a third Presbyterian church, but you are to be a communicant in good standing of some evangelical church. Again, we think that it's important. We think that it's biblical. And if that's the case, we invite you to come and participate in this meal with us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a gift from your hand to provide us with these uh, elements, this sacrament. And so we thank you for it. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the juice. And we pray now that you would nourish us as we feed upon Christ by faith. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Well, again, the instrumentalists will play here for 30 or 45 seconds for you to sort of prepare your heart for this particular time. And then there will be a brief break and I'll invite you to come forward at that time. Now come to the table.
the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples as I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. And do this in remembrance of me. Let us now feed upon Christ in our hearts by faith. In the same manner, he also took the cup and having given thanks, which we've done in his name, he gave it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let us commune together. Our Lord, we are... Again, thankful that you provide this sacrament for us, a, a way by which we can uh, taste and touch and sense uh, in physical ways all that is ours through Christ spiritually. We pray, Lord, that we would indeed be nourished, strengthened to put on the whole armor of God, even this week, to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing our closing uh, chorus here, the doxology. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.